Hey, just a quick note for our listeners. This episode contains extensive conversations about sexual violence and specifically within the context of enslaved people. It is, as a result, not our funniest episode. If you're looking for a funnier version of a President's Day-themed episode, might we recommend Lyndon B. Johnson? Thanks. If you're selling mattresses this weekend, that's a good plan. Hi, and welcome to Meet Your Heroes. I'm Audrey. And I'm Elliot. And this is the show where we ignore the very good conventional wisdom to never meet your heroes and instead get up close and personal with the lesser known legacies and real life bad behavior of some of history's most notable and beloved people. Hey, Elliot. Hey, Audrey. Do you know what season it is? I am not used to being uh, on this side of that question and I don't like it. No, Audrey, what, what season is it? It's President's Day season. President's Day season, a substantially shorter season than uh, decorative gourd season. That is for sure. For most of us, that's true. Unless you are a mattress warehouse who has a big sale happening this weekend. Everything's 70% off President's Day season. That's true. It's true. Uh, very, very important season to the uh, mattress cultural community, I suppose. I think it's furniture broadly. Lots of President's Furn Day furniture sales. Furniture community. Do you need appliances? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's President's Day season. Get it. The founding yeah. fathers would want you to get your refrigerator <laughs> for 50% off or they zero down, zero payments for the next 72 months. Can't argue with a deal like that. It is what America is about. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of other stuff America is about, but definitely... President's Day sales. Also, I will say an important season for the Meet Your Heroes community. We have uh, done George Washington in the past. We've done Abraham Lincoln. And technically, those were the ones that President's Day was about and to celebrate. Oh, yeah. I was going to say, we've done a couple other presidents. FDR, Lyndon Johnson. But who cares about them? We're not celebrating them. They suck. Not today. Go listen to those no. episodes. Yes. Uh, but today, we do, we do have another president to celebrate slash get to know. Let's see if we're celebrating at the end of this episode or if we are no longer interested in meeting said hero. Spoiler alert, complicated guy. This week's hero, Thomas Jefferson. Audrey, what do you know about Thomas Jefferson? I know he's on the nickel. Yes. Yes. Is he? I thought. I think he's on the nickel. Pretty sure he's on the nickel. Okay. Okay. That's the, only, that's the only money I know he's on. He might be on some bills. Is he on some bills? He's on the $2 bill. Okay. There we go. I figured he would be, but I didn't know which one. Um, but I'm also not good at this, this uh, game. I rarely know who's, <laughs> the on, who's on the money. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's see. Uh, I mean, I know all of the like cultural points, right? I know uh, third president. I know about some indiscretions. I'm sure we'll talk about a lot of those. I, I don't know much about him personally. I, I've never cared enough about him to get to know him personally. I do know, though, that this is an episode. When you share that you want to do this episode for President's Day, I thought, heavy hitter. Big one. Substance there. Substance. It's a hearty episode. And particularly given the particular ways that he ends up being terrible mm. and the fact that we are covering this president during Black History Month, mm -hmm. uh, I wanted to make sure that we did justice to the reality of what his life was like. So just a upfront content warning here. This episode contains a lot of discussions of sexual violence. If that is not something that you want to listen to, recommend you skip this episode. It's not like one section. It's like all throughout here. Mm. Uh, another just overall note... We are not going to talk a lot about his treatment of the native people in America. Okay. Um, they were all throughout his life from the time he was growing up until he was president. I just didn't have time to do justice to that particular section of his history. Sure. But we are going to talk a lot about his relationship to slavery. One other thing about this episode, um, some of our heroes, it is, it is easier to make jokes about the strange, unexpected parts of their lives that are lesser known. Thomas Jefferson is not a very wacky dude. Okay. And so this is, this is not um, 
this is not one of the lighter episodes. A lot of this content is, as you can imagine, uh, super dark, uh, super serious, and overall, uh, yeah, just like a darker tone than some of our others. So go in eyes wide, uh, not the silliest of our episodes, for, for sure. Got it. Um, so yes, he was the third president. Mm -hmm. He was one of the founding fathers, the author of the Declaration of Independence. Okay. And as we will find also a slave owner with a particularly complicated relationship to slavery. Mm. But See, in my mind, slavery feels like it should be a black or white issue. Not Yeah, like, it's, it's really it's not really, one for a lot of gray area. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a cut and dry, not a lot of complication there. A lot of like, there's a line in the sand scenario. Yes. But with all that said, let's dive in. Thomas Jefferson was very specific about how he wanted to be remembered. In fact, he wrote his own epitaph for his gravestone. Oh, him and Mark Twain. Yes. Yes. The epitaph he wrote says, here was buried Thomas Jefferson, author of the Declaration of American Independence, mm. of, of the Statute of Virginia for Religious Freedom, Okay. and father of the University of Virginia. Very specific. He was president, secretary of state. He was a congressperson. He did all these other things, but those were the things he wanted to be remembered for. Institutional knowledge. He was like, I, I am the creator of these things. Yes, and specifically, nobody else has done these things. Other people have been president. Mm. Nobody else mm. has done these particular things. What would be on your very unique epitaph? Here lies Elliot Sanchez, South, one time South Louisiana Young Magician of the Year. Okay. and That's it. Full stop. Yes, done. That's, what else do you need? <laughs> That's the joke. You live in infamy. He left out a bunch of stuff, mm. obviously, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and left out some things that are particularly terrible. Yeah. So just so we are clear on what we're talking about with slavery, uh, there are a lot of different types of slavery. Mm -hmm. The American type of slavery is unique in the history of the world. So there is, it is chattel slavery. Chattel is just an old timey word for, you know, property that you could move around oh. as opposed to a house. Mm -hmm. um, and in America, it was the very first time that that people had combined the idea of owning a person as an object and a racial caste system together. This is like this uniquely long-lived society-shaping way where like if you are born with a certain color skin, mm -hmm. you are permanently and forever considered an object as opposed to a human, right? And Jefferson is going to talk a big game and then just be a complete hypocrite about this. And as we get into this, I, I think it's important to lead off with like, there's a lot of conversations that people start right away. As soon as you start having this conversation, we're like, hold on, hold on, hold on. You've got to like judge these people based on the time they were in. You've got to like, we've heard you know, it. All it was before. a different time. Yes. Immediate first objection from everybody. It was a different time and you can't hold them by today's standards. So I just want to like be very explicit before we start this conversation that the first time in America where people start writing in opposition to slavery goes back to like 1688. That's the first writings we have. Fully. And, and the Religious Society of Friends, like Quakers, um, were writing this and they were saying like, this is wrong. These are human beings. Yep. In fact, the, the slavery was initially banned in the colonies. Even the colony of Georgia, shortly after it was founded, was like, no slavery. Mm. It's wrong. Uh, the colony's founder, James Edward Oglethorpe, was fighting repeated attempts from South Carolina people and merchants and, and farmers to try to introduce slavery into Georgia. He wrote back in 1739, quote, if we allow slaves, we act against the very principles by which we associated together, which was to relieve the distresses. Mm. Whereas now we should occasion the misery of thousands in Africa by setting men upon using arts to buy and bring into property slavery the poor people who now live there free. This was like a very explicit stand made based on their values and their recognition that these are human beings with human lives. Yes. They did this. And then the economy of Georgia really suffered. They did not, they, it was hard to farm. And so when people started to, to be upset, they made slavery legal again in 1751 in Georgia. And what do you know? Economy took off. It was really good for business if you didn't have to pay uh, people to do work. You could just exploit their labor and keep all the rewards, and it worked really well. And, um, and what I'm hearing you say is that's a failed system of the past, and that doesn't currently still happen, right? That's not, that's not still the system in America where we exploit labor for 
profit. I mean, there are, it is beyond the depth of this conversation to go into all of the ways in which slavery is still, not just slavery, but exploitation is such a driver of the American economy. But to the extent that, in fact, slavery itself is still legal in the United States of America and still a major economic driver. People forget that the 13th Amendment says we are going to abolish slavery except except for incarcerated people. And so when you look at the fact that America has more people incarcerated than literally any country in the world. That has to be that, a coincidence though, and right? And that people then are are forced to work for either free mm-hmm. or slave wages, which is like pennies, pennies a day. Pennies. And then those prisons are for profit. It is it is not it is not a coincidence. Mm-hmm. But I digress. All the way back, 17, uh, 1600s, 1700s, um, in 1775, right before the Declaration of Independence, the, the Society for the Relief of Free Negroes Unlawfully Held in Bondage, which was shortened to the Pennsylvania Abolition Society eventually, okay. um, were successfully outlawing slavery in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania because they knew that this was wrong and everybody knew it was wrong. So... This is this is a big preamble to say that like as we have this conversation about slavery, you are not letting anybody off the hook to be like it was a different time. People didn't know. People knew, literally, the the colony of Georgia made it illegal, and then they, and they said we're making this illegal because we know it is wrong yes. and we know these are people. Yes. And then when it didn't work out for the economy, they just repealed that, and they were like conveniently we like having money more than these values, mm-hmm. and they did. Mm-hmm. And and so like this was a this was a calculated economic decision by people who explicitly knew better. Yes. And that is the standard by which we judge them. What did they know and say at the time? And everybody knew. And in Thomas Jefferson's case, it is particularly poignant because he publicly for a long time says the exact same thing. He's like, slavery is a stain upon the nation. It is morally wrong. Like all these things. And then Mm. all we have to do is judge his actions by his own words. But Let's see how we got there. Thomas Jefferson is born on his father's forced labor camp known as Shadwell Plantation in Central Virginia. Okay. In 1743. I say forced labor camp again because the language matters. When you say plantation, a lot of people think big oak trees Mm -hmm. and pretty antebellum dresses and... Destination place to get married if you live in the South. Oh my gosh. It is very convenient to gloss over the fact that a plantation is a name for a farm where people are threatened under penalty of death mm-hmm. to labor as prisoners, right? But this is the place where Thomas Jefferson is born. He is the third of 10 children. Wow. He's, he's described as a light redhead with hazel eyes. Who cares? Which I did not know. Yeah. Um, he, 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 he ends up powdered wig by the time we all know him. Who gives a shit? Yes. It, yes. But it's funny to think that he has like this big puff of red hair underneath yeah. there, which is funny to me. Um, maybe wealth, Welsh heritage, it turns out. Very but, British or like Yeah, UK. British Welsh. Yeah. Um, he is also described as, quote, like a racehorse with no surplus flesh. What does that mean? Uh, pretty bony. Bony. Not ah, gangly. Very lean. Yes. Okay. Very gangly and lean. Okay. Um, Ooh, like a racehorse with no excess flesh. I don't like that. <laughs> Yes, it's it's evocative, if nothing else. Who's saying this about him? Uh, one of the overseers that worked on the uh, worked on the camp. Yeah, that's, that's a weird thing to say him. about a child. Yeah, I mean it is. Well, I think he was older at the time, but he he ended up being tall. He was like six foot two, which was really tall for those days. Sure was. Um, a lot of the founding fathers tend to have that in common. People were like, "Oh, you're tall. You must be in charge of stuff." And then they made him in charge of a country. So that happens still today. Out. There's that bias. It, it is. It is a deep cognitive bias. People just assume tall people are better leaders. Mm-hmm. But before he was tall, when he was five years old, he started school, um, which five was particularly early for those days. Usually you would like work um, on the farm and like oversee enslaved people until you were a teenager. But he started at five because his father was like, I never got a formal education. My kids are going to have better. So he starts studying Latin, Greek, and French, which will be important later on. Sure will. Um, becomes very good. He studies science, history, classical literature. One thing throughout his entire life, he's incredibly well read. He has a huge library eventually, um, donates big libraries. Like He's just very into reading, into books, and a knowledgeable, learned person. Mm. 
1759, little Tommy Jefferson enters the College of William and Mary at the age of 16. He studies mathematics, metaphysics, philosophy, including a big emphasis on ethics, hmm. um, which, again, knows what he's knows what he's talking about when he's talking about what's right, what's not. Graduates in two years and begins apprenticing as a lawyer. They call it reading the law because there was no such thing as law schools sure. at that point. So he's basically an apprentice. Yeah. My grandpa graduated high school at like 15 and was a doctor by 19. But the standards by which he was like a medical professional were much lower. Uh, yeah. The thing he, that made he didn't a get to fancy like... medicine until he was like 30. So... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was uh, it was a lower bar for mm -hmm. sure yeah, in terms of experiences you needed to call yourself a doctor. Sure. Uh, same with a lawyer, I am sure. One thing about all these studies is that this is one of the experiences that like makes him uh, very passionate about religious freedom. Mm. Um, he is later called an atheist as like a put down because he wasn't very religious and he really believed in the study of science and rationality as the way to guide human life. And so that becomes a big, uh, one of his values, obviously, it shows up on his tombstone, but it's one of the things that starts to inform him at this age. 1767, Tommy is now 24 years old. He is admitted to the bar. He's a lawyer. He gets elected to be a representative to the House of Burgesses, okay. which is a fancy English way to be like, we've got some elected representatives here to talk in this British colony, still under the king, but like he's one of the legislators. Um, he starts introducing laws there about religious freedom for the first time and, and thinking about that. He also tries to introduce legislation that would have banned free black people from entering or leaving the Commonwealth. Oh. He thought at the time that if enslaved people saw free black people mm -hmm. among them, they would rebel. And this made him nervous. It would have also banished children whose fathers were black or white women who had children with black men. So early on, he is like coming down hard on this very racist approach to controlling enslaved people yeah, and a particular emphasis on punishing sexual contact between specifically black men and white women. Yeah. Um, I think that legacy still exists in a lot of ways in America, culturally, socially, and up until like 60 years ago, legally. It's wild about how recent in our timeline that ends up being changed in the law. Right. Also, just of note, we'll revisit this. Important that this was meaningful to him at this stage. But as a 24 year old, or as, as a, a 24 year old, he's thinking about this and coming down hard on the line of this is like morally wrong. Mm. 1768, he begins building Monticello. He's super into architecture and he's like, this is like his, one of his passions, that and music. And From so daddy's like, money or lawyer yes, money? He's, he is inheriting a ton of wealth. Yeah. Um, his, 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 parents forced labor camp was like in Virginia, but he, there's a hill that's above it. Mm -hmm. And he's like, that's where I want to live. So he starts building Monticello on the hill above it. Monticello is the top of this hill from a, above where he grew up and was born. So he begins building this and he spends his whole life tweaking and like messing with the architecture. It's, it's his hobby. 1770, as he's like finishing this residence, he meets his future wife, Martha Wales. Let's talk about the Wales family for a second. Let's. They are British lineage, and John Wales, the patriarch, he is a slave owner who was married three times. All three of his wives died. Suspicious. But by one of them, he has this daughter, Martha Wales, okay. who's going to end up marrying Thomas. Mm -hmm. So John has these children by his three official wives, and he also has what at the time would have been called a shadow family. Oh, no. Yes. So Wales began raping one of the enslaved people that he owned, Betty. Oh, no. Betty was biracial. So she, too, was the product of a slave owner raping a slave. Yes. And John Wales, his wives are dead, rather than mess with another wife who you've got to like, I don't know. Care about? care about. He begins raping this woman, Betty. And over the course of 12 years, he forces her to have six children with him. Jesus. So if you think about these children, mm -hmm. they were three quarters 
European ancestry. Very fair-skinned. But they were all legally slaves because their mother was. Right. Back to the 1600s in Virginia slave law, any child that was born to an enslaved mother was considered an enslaved person. Yes. Forever. Yes. And all, right, in perpetuity. Thomas Jefferson is meeting Martha, and they're in polite society, and he is a smart guy, and he is uh, very observant, and you got to imagine he meets them, and then he sees that like there's all these official children, and then there are these like slightly darker-skinned children that are enslaved and are living in the main house mm. and nobody talks about right like nobody mm -hmm. brings it up there's no writings about it it was never like addressed in any of jefferson's papers or anything sure but you've got to think that he notices this of course yeah that's you don't miss six children who have no uh father mm -hmm. in in the enslaved families mm -hmm. because at the time even though it was illegal for slaves to legally marry of course they were often in common law partnerships right there were real marriages and and multi-generational families yes no black father in this family of six children mm. so in the book the hemmingses of monticello an american family by the historian uh annette gordon reed she describes around this time jefferson is grappling with this concept of slavery and what it looks like for especially children in these mixed race families so after meeting his future wife and future father-in-law, mm -hmm. he decides to take a case pro bono of a mixed-race man mm -hmm. who was born in a similar circumstance and is suing for his freedom. Okay. And Jefferson's like, you know what? I agree. Maybe you should be free. So he takes his case as a young lawyer, and he worked really hard on it by all of the records. Like He did a lot of work. And he wrote at one point in this notes for the case, quote, all men are born free and everyone comes into the world with the right to his own person and using it as a, at his own will. This is what is called personal liberty and it's given to him by the author of nature because it is necessary for his own sustenance. Mm -hmm. So he's saying, okay, maybe this person, this biracial man who's suing for freedom deserves it because he is a man and mm -hmm. he is a person. Mm -hmm. And the judge cuts him off mid-sentence. He says, no, you lose. The guy's a slave and uh, dismisses the case. So it doesn't go well for him. But one, Jefferson is saying, I think that these people are in fact human beings. They are people with rights, inalienable rights. There's also this thing in the notes from the case where Jefferson uh, makes an implication that even though there's laws against having white men... Mm -hmm impregnate black enslaved women, mm -hmm. maybe it's not actually as wrong or as serious as the, the laws say it is. Hmm. And this is really interesting because just a few years earlier, he was like writing legislation to say like, if a black man ever has sex with a white woman, kick them out, like literally return both of them to Africa. Oh, wow. But here, a few years later, he's saying like, but maybe it's not so bad if it's the other way around where a white man is having sex with an enslaved black woman. Some people read this as like, oh, maybe he was like expressing a more enlightened approach. But when you hold those two next to each other, what it seems like is he is starting to get a little bit more flexible with his ethics. In addition to all of the ways that it's wrong racially, it's just deeply rooted in wanting to control women incredibly, incredibly controlling and sexist because like it places him in particular in this like position of really unchecked power in this dynamic. He loses the case. 1772, he marries, he marries Martha Wales. And as part of the dowry for the wedding, he receives property from Martha's family, including another forced labor camp and a great number of enslaved people yeah. that are going to help him finish building Monticello. It increases the number of enslaved people that he owns from 52 to like 187. Wow. And among them is a newborn infant. This infant is actually biologically the daughter of his father-in-law. Okay. And the infant's name is Sally. Mm -hmm. The father-in-law had been impregnating the woman, Betty Hemmings. And this infant that he gets as part of the dowry is Sally Hemmings. Yikes. This infant is about 25 years younger than his wife, mm -hmm. Martha. But biologically, this infant 
is his wife's half-sister because they share the same father. That's the math. His new father-in-law dies. They inherit the rest of his enslaved people. And now Thomas Jefferson and Martha are living with this strange hybrid of, ens of enslaved people, some of whom they are related to by blood. Right. 1775 rolls around. American Revolution begins. And at 33, Thomas Jefferson is the youngest delegate to the Continental Congress. This is the place where he becomes the author of the Declaration of Independence. Mm -hmm. He's, he wrote that he was inspired by the Enlightenment ideals of the sanctity of the individual by many famous philosophers like John Locke. And he writes the famous words, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. They're endowed with their creator with certain unalienable rights. And among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Echoes his court case from a few years earlier. He's put in this thought and this work. Interestingly, though, doesn't yet seem to inform any of his actions around slavery. The Declaration of Independence and later the Constitution are incredibly silent about slavery. Avoid using the word slavery at every juncture mm. because there's this uneasiness with which they understand that all of these words are lofty and high-minded, and they also like run explicitly in the face of the thing that is driving so much of their economic power. Yep. He's a colonel in the Revolutionary Army, Virginia State Legislature. He works to enshrine, at this point, uh, the Virginia State Constitution and his bill for establishing religious freedom in Virginia. Bill fails to pass, but he takes a stand. 1782. Thomas Jefferson's wife dies. They were married 10 years. They do have several kids before Martha dies. Wow. But she dies right before the Revolutionary War ends. Thomas is never going to remarry. Okay. He becomes a member of Congress. He's like 40, right, at this point? Yes. He is just about to turn 40. Yeah. And he becomes a member of Congress. George Washington becomes president and names Thomas Jefferson as his minister to France. Mm -hmm. He's going to be in France for about five years. Thomas is three years in to his five years in Paris, and he, and he sends off and says, he sends off to have his daughter join him. Okay. His daughter's 12, mm -hmm. Polly. He asks for an enslaved person to join her, to accompany her on the journey. Mm. The person they choose is 14-year-old Sally Hemings. So if you remember, she was, Sally Hemings was an infant mm -hmm. when she was given to Thomas Jefferson. But she is, despite her age, still the half-sister of his dead wife. Yes, which makes her the half-aunt of his daughter, Polly. Exactly. Not that anybody would talk about that. No. Not that anybody would acknowledge that. Mm -mm. But biologically, the aunt of his child. Yes. Sally Hemings was described as very fair-skinned, straight hair down her back. Okay. Her ancestry was three-quarters European. Mm -hmm. She arrives in France with Polly, and it is during this trip over the next few years that historians believe that the 44-year-old Thomas Jefferson mm -hmm. begins to rape the 14-year-old Sally Hemings. Let's just pause for a moment because... That's heavy. It's heavy. This is a child. Mm -hmm. Is a child who couldn't consent to sex today in our legal frameworks in America. Best case scenario. Right? Because they're 14. As right? As an enslaved child, absolutely had no legal right to say no to uh, someone who legally owned them. And to put an even finer point on how wrong this is, even if we were to say, let's judge them, if not by this, the laws of our time, or let's not even judge them by the standards of their time, let's like just the letter of the law, technically this was legal. Slavery was illegal in France. Yes. This was not even legal at the time where he was. Right. In fact, when he brought enslaved people over with him, they threatened to kick them out mm -hmm. because they were, they were enslaved. And so instead, he's like, ah, I got an idea. He starts to pay them about $2 a month so that technically, while they're in France, he can, make, he can say, well, technically right now, they're not enslaved. They're just... Employees. 
employees that are being paid, you know, a tenth of what we paid the other employees at the time. They were paying, I guess it was a six, because they were paying the other employees like 12 bucks a month. They pay the enslaved people like $2 a month. So it's technically not a slavery arrangement. And yeah, the technicalities here hold no weight. Ugh. No, no, it's super gross. So he begins to rape this 14 year old girl for several years. Mm -hmm. For the rest of his life, he will have her as part of his household. By the end of these few years, as he's returning to America, Sally Hemings is like, no, I am not going back with you. Uh, I, I want to stay. I'm not going. I'm, I'm a free person technically here. You can go, but you can't force me, which, again, some of the more coercive things that would have been legal to do to an enslaved person in America weren't legal to do in France. Were they legal to do to women, though? It's a good question. Because um, I feel like the loophole there is you don't have to be an enslaved person. You just have to be a woman. And a lot of the things that you could do that were coercive to enslaved people in America were legally allowed. That sort of coercion was allowed to women. To be done to women. Yeah. So one of the things that's clear about Thomas Jefferson is that he doesn't want to get Sally Hemings back to America by physical violence. He could. He probably could have gotten away with it. But sure. it's not what he wants to do. So according he to- He wants his child to want to go with him. Exactly. Ugh. Exactly. So according to one Ugh. historian, Madison's uh, account, she agreed to return after he agreed that he would free any of the children that he forced her to conceive. Whoa. So imagine having this conversation with like a 14, 15 year old, I guess maybe 16 by the very end of it. And you're like, look, you return back to me, to, with me to America. And I may force you to have sex with me, but I'll free your children. And for, I'm sure, a number of complicated reasons, plus the th potential threat of real violence behind it, eventually Sally Hemings agrees to return okay. to the U.S. When they get back to Monticello, Sally Hemings gets a bedroom that is right next to Jefferson's bedroom. Eventually, he fathers six children with her, mm -hmm. four of whom survive to adulthood. Mm-hmm. He never marries again, and she never has any common law marriages in any of the records, so she didn't like take a spouse of her own that was an enslaved person. Her children live in the main house with her. Okay. Those children are, have seven-eighths European ancestry, yes. right? Incredibly light-skinned. They, their only work, even though they're technically still enslaved people, is just to run errands for Jefferson. Like They're not asked to like do anything that any of the other enslaved people are. Um, the boys mm -hmm. are taught to play violin like Jefferson plays. Like they're they're treated with many of the privileges that you might expect only a legitimate, legally recognized child to have. Sure. Um, in fact, when some of them get older, um, the oldest boy is allowed to quote uh, escape at the age of twenty four, and then shortly after, his next youngest sister follows. But when they say escape, what they mean is like they literally put them on a coach with like $50 or $1,000 equivalent like, go to today. Massachusetts. Yeah. And they're like, head north, right? Yeah. So like they weren't technically free in, under the eyes of the law, but like- Were, Was there even a way to free people in the South then? Like, wasn't it very, very complicated to free an enslaved person versus like in the North, you could just be like, here's a piece of paper that says you're free? It, it was- Varying degrees of complexity at different points in time. Got it. But I will say, spoiler alert, eventually they are all also legally freed, just not at this point. Got right? it. Like mm -hmm. they, they go through the motions, but they don't actually make it official in a way that would give them like any real legal protection. Okay. These children of Thomas Jefferson that are allowed to quote unquote escape um, are so fair skinned that when they enter society, Later on, they enter white society yeah. and their descendants identify as white, right? Like when we talk about the social construction of race here, like yes. the only thing that kept them being considered as black or enslaved people was just the legal frameworks that Jefferson had at his disposal, right? And the laws that they established in the 1600s. But absolutely no reason that they should be treated differently except for these arbitrary laws that Jefferson had fought to keep in place. Yeah. For a long time, 
a lot of people did not want to talk about any of this at all. Not at all. Um, people got super mad about it, right? Um, when, because as you can imagine, being like, oh, this beloved founding father raped a 14-year-old and had a secret shadow family like his father-in-law did and mm-hmm. and wrote all of these high-minded words and acted in a totally opposite way. Um, they were like, "There's there could be no way. The family of Thomas Jefferson denied it, but Jefferson himself never denied it. Okay. So eventually this, it, there's rumors that leak out. Jefferson never denies it. His grandson, Thomas Jefferson's grandson, just tries to blame um, a different nephew in the family and be like, he was the one who raped Sally Hemings and, and fathered all these children. Whoa. That was him, not, not Thomas Jefferson. And historians for like 150 years are just like, um, okay, great. It was, the, it was the nephew. And that is the official line for 150 years. In, in the 1940s, historians are like renovating Monticello and restoring it. And they find Sally Hemings' bedroom next to Thomas Jefferson's bedroom. They hadn't, was it like sealed up or something? Had it been like plastered yeah. over? They, they, had done, they had done a lot of work to like hide it and try to like not make it clear what it was. It was kind of like underground oh, a little, whoa. like you had to go down through it. Um, and so what do they do in the 40s when they discover that even though everybody's saying it's the nephew, her bedroom's right next to Thomas Jefferson's bedroom? Yeah. They, they turn her room into a bathroom. No. They literally install a bathroom in there to try what? to pretend like, yeah, to, to make it like part of the, the touristy museum and just like completely ignore it. They were like, and Thomas Jefferson needed a basement where he could just like use his chamber pot. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they make it. Yes. I mean, like they make it a modern day bathroom. Seem like, yeah. A modern day bathroom. Right. Ugh. Um, to try to like make people ignore it entirely. Even as recently as like the early 2000s, the Thomas Jefferson Heritage Society, which is this concerned group of quote, you know, businessmen and like, you know, uh, prominent figures. I don't know that there are any good heritage societies. <laughs> the word heritage is really uh, heavy. A loaded, it's a, a loaded, loaded heavy term. term. Yeah. Yes. Like um, it implies a lot if you're focused on a specific heritage. On quote unquote heritage. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, this heritage society mm-hmm. uh, was saying, we don't think any of these rumors are true because Thomas Jefferson was a great man, a founding father, and if any of this was true, it would make him, quote, a hypocrite, a liar, and a fraud. There you go. And this is the group of people that are like there to defend him, and they're like, it can't be true because if it was, it, he would be a hypocrite, a liar, and a fraud. Yes, that's correct. They got it right. The problem is then scientists invent DNA analysis. Yeah, they sure do. And so as early as 1998... Daniel P. Jordan, who is president of the Thomas Jefferson Foundation, which actually is it's totally different from the Heritage Society, and it's the one that operates Monticello as a museum and an archive. Yes. Um, they did DNA tests from Jefferson's nephew's male line mm-hmm. and Sally Hemings descendants' line mm-hmm. and Thomas Jefferson's biological legally recognized children line. Yeah. And it turns out what do you that know? there is no DNA match between the nephew everybody wanted to blame it on and, and Sally Hemings. Uh, family, but there is a match between Thomas Jefferson's male line and the Sally Hemings descendants. So now at this point, it is like unrefuted. Yeah, unrefuted. As, as recently as 2012, the Smithsonian Institute has officially acknowledged uh, the documentary and genetic evidence strongly support the conclusion that Jefferson was, in fact, the father of Sally Hemings' children. Of course, right? Yeah. Given the lack of records, you like there's. Technically, right, uh, people put a lot of credence in the fact that you can't say with 100% certainty given how far removed the DNA testing is. But what we do know is that the only other plausible explanation that anybody had for 150 years is totally false and right. not true. Right. And the fact that there's all these other things like the bedroom and like all of the other uh, records surrounding it, it is very obvious. The thing that this tells us is that after he comes back from Paris, does not take another wife, begins to father children through this rape of uh, Sally Hemings. One thing is remarkable about his public statements on this, which is that even if he had ever, he had, he had made all of these public statements before about how, what a stain uh, slavery is on mm-hmm. the country and what like a uh, moral travesty. At this point in his life, once this situation starts back up at Monticello and he moves back to the States, he goes suspiciously silent on race 
and slavery for almost the rest of his life. Like he's got some like private letters where he's still like, you know, saying it's a bad thing. But like he, yeah. does, he no longer wants to call any attention to this. He like shuts down all of the high minded statements that he made before. Oh, So he goes from like trying to like say things publicly to sound like he's defending the, you know, sanctity of the rights of the of the revolution mm -hmm. and then actually gets involved in and is like, oh, no, that's uh, just going to be quiet about this. Wow. That's usually, it's the opposite direction that most people go. Yeah. Usually they, over time, people you would expect would become less, less and less vocal defenders of slavery. Yes. Or they would start to uh, potentially, you know, like say I, I was wrong about this originally and I'm trying to make myself better. He, he goes in the opposite direction. He like backtracks from his statements that were trying to decry slavery. It gets worse because in 1789, he goes from just being the foreign like emissary to France mm -hmm. to becoming the first secretary of state. And after these things have started happening with Sally Hemings, he begins to explicitly actively support slavery abroad in other countries. I don't understand this. Wouldn't I would imagine that, you know, uh, whatever feelings he would want to pretend he would have toward Sally and the fact that he has children who are technically enslaved, wouldn't you think that would make you more empathetic to be like, hey, this is wrong. I should not support it. There's humanity here. These are my children. Yeah. I mean, you might think so, <laughs> I, right? I just don't understand the incentive to move in the opposite direction. I mean, the, the thing that I saw as the through line here is that when he is young, he is benefiting from this incredible wealth and privilege yeah. of having been born into a slave-owning family, mm -hmm. right? And so he's very comfortable. But he's just a student and he's learning and he's making these high-minded ideal statements. Mm -hmm. And he is not on a day-to-day -day basis responsible for the work that actually causes him to benefit from this. Sure. So he is like... He's more removed. The money is just around and the, and the enslaved people to him are just like part of the wealth. Yeah. As he begins to realize more and more direct benefits, as they are building Monticello uh, at his request, right? Or at his, you know, enforced uh, orders. Yeah. And as he is beginning to like essentially have this, you know, as he's starting to make this enslaved woman his sexual partner, right? Or his victim, really. Yeah. Right? Like then... Even though you would think that might give him more empathy, mm -hmm. it is, in practice, what it is doing, it is, is like dialing it back. Like the more benefits he directly experiences from this institution, yeah. like the less and less vocal about trying to end it he becomes over time. As before, like where his statements against slavery were like academic and like got him like social clout with a certain, you know, cross section of the society that mm -hmm. was talking these same high minded ideals. Yeah. Now it's a direct threat to the things that are like the power structures in, in his life that give him that power and let him maintain these, you know, um, dynamics. Yeah. These dynamics in, in his life. Mm -hmm. So as when he is secretary of state, the um, in Haiti, the enslaved people there were leading a revolt yeah. against French colonial rule. And one, he was a Francophile. He was super into French stuff. He is still very racist in all of his statements that like actually ask about what he thinks of black people in general. But when this rebellion starts, he, as Secretary of State, decides to send a thousand firearms oh, no. and forty thousand dollars to Haiti's slaveholders. Oh. And then after he sends this direct forty thousand dollar payment, he eventually uses his powers as president down the line to loan France an additional three hundred thousand dollars intended as quote relief for the whites on the island. So he is like actively supporting the slaveholders against the enslaved people fighting for freedom in this rebellion. Before this rebellion is like successful, when it's not guaranteed what the outcome is going to be, the former, formerly enslaved person and leader of the rebellion, Jean-Jacques Dessalines, wrote to Jefferson that the Haitians were, quote, tired of paying with our blood the price of our blind allegiance to a mother country that cuts her children's throats. Ah. And, and he said they would fight for freedom instead. Now, you would think, again, if the appeal was to Jefferson's ideals of like fighting for independence from this yes. authority, like that is right up Jefferson's aisle. Yes, I want freedom, but not for you. Thomas Jefferson never responds to this letter. When the revolt is ultimately successful and the Haitian uh, enslaved people win their own freedom, mm -hmm. 
Jefferson refuses to recognize Haiti as a sovereign republic, never recognizes that they are their own people. And that, and, and then eventually like sends this $300,000 to the white slaveholders on the island to like help repay them for this loss, which is just wild. Wow. Talk about being on the wrong side. It's not nuanced. This is, this is deep in the wrong side of all of it. Yeah. Yeah. And he has moved further and further towards the cause of directly supporting slavery. The more power he gets, the more resources and force he puts behind trying to crystallize and maintain the institution of slavery, not just in the United States, but also abroad, like explicitly. Boo. After being Secretary of State, he runs for president in 1796 and he loses. And at the time, the way the U.S. system worked was whoever was second place became vice president. Yes, I've seen Hamilton. Yeah, so he loses. And when this happens, he decides that sucks. He doesn't want to lose again. So he's going to do whatever it takes the second go around. When the election of 1800 comes around, uh, Thomas Jefferson essentially invents the idea of the negative campaign ad or the smear campaign. Mm -hmm. And is basically the first like uh, presidential election to basically use straight up lies about the opponent in the campaign. Because at this point, like... You got the First Amendment, baby. Yeah. The presidents had just like, even though there was more that was legal, the presidents in, in deference to like Washington and his like high-minded ideals for what the office was going to look like, they like stayed at home for most of the campaign. And it, mm. they, like their assumption was like, the people will debate and decide and like, they'll just pick the right option. And he's like, oh, no, 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 no. So Jefferson goes out and hires this political journalist named James Callender. Okay. He gets him to write this article. Now, this is super fucking offensive, so I'm going to apologize in advance for this, but I'm going to read you this quote. He gets Callender to write this article saying that his opponent, Adams, had, quote, a hideous hermaphroditical character, which has neither the force and firmness of a man nor the gentleness and sensibility of a woman, which is just fucking rude, too, and is trying to, like, sexist in all kinds of weird ways. What? Yeah, I know. So it gets it gets worse because Adams responds, and this is also really oh. fucking offensive, so I'm going to apologize. But Adams responds to the insult by calling Jefferson, quote, a mean-spirited, low-lived fellow, the son of a half-breed Indian squaw oh. sired by a Virginian mulatto father. Pulling zero punches. We went from sexism to racism, just like going for it. Uh, this is almost working, but Jefferson needs another advantage, so he just starts lying. He basically gets countered to write that Adams was dead set on going to war again and everybody just getting out of the Revolutionary War like did not want to be in war mm-hmm. again. Who were they going to go to war with? He was saying Adams wanted to go to war with France, which was entirely false. Uh, anyway, public buys it though. Jefferson wins the presidency. The thing is though, uh, libel was still illegal. And so Calendar oh. ends up going to prison. Uh, he gets arrested because he was saying all these things. And again, Jefferson was smart enough to not write these things himself, but yeah. he gets Calendar to write it. Calendar writes all these untrue things, loses the libel uh, charge, and goes to prison. So only for a year, but Jefferson in the meantime is elected president. Jefferson was uh, enjoying being president. He, he gets inaugurated, and he is singing the praises of this press system that let him just get elected, right? Because he could say whatever the fuck he wanted. So he said, quote, were it left to me to decide whether we should have a government without newspapers or newspapers without a government, I would not hesitate a moment to prefer the latter. He would want newspapers without a government. He was like, the press is that important. It's more important than the government that we have free speech and freedom of the press. Until, Mm. until Calendar gets out of prison. And is like, listen up, this motherfucker put me in jail. No, it, it wasn't even that. He was willing to go to jail. He just wanted to get paid because Jefferson owed him a ton of money for all of this stuff and he sure. couldn't collect while he was in prison. So nah. he comes out and he's like, hey, hey, I got you elected. I did my time in prison. If you would just like now please settle up your bill, you owe me a couple thousand dollars for writing all this stuff and getting you to be president of the United States. And Jefferson, who is apparently a tightwad and terrible with money, he was actually starting to go broke, different story. Uh, he was bar- terrible at managing his affairs, even on an, a forced labor camp where all of his labor was free. He was still going broke. He, he didn't pay back Calendar. So Calendar's like, are you serious? So Calendar goes out and starts writing the story. He's like, hey, uh, this Jefferson guy, he's fucking Sally Hemings. <laughs> all of these, all of these uh, mixed race kids are his. He is a huge hypocrite. He's yeah. saying all these things and this is his secret family. And so Jefferson, seeing this, 
um, the guy who was just like, I'd rather have newspapers than the government because I love freedom of the press, now comes out and says, quote, nothing can now be believed which is seen in a newspaper. Truth itself becomes suspicious by being put into that polluted vehicle. Oh. Uh, he's like, this is fake news. Literally, so the, the wild part about this, he's saying this is fake news that I have this family, right? Obviously, it is absolutely true. A few, a few weeks ago, I think it was Ivanka tweeted out this Jefferson quote to be like, some things never change. The press is always lying. And people were like, uh, no, this was Jefferson saying the press was lying when he really, he was fucking guilty of all of the things they were accusing him of. Like, it turns out it was not just hypocritical. It was also just straight up lying. And we've learned so much lesson, so many lessons since oh, then. We've learned so many lessons. Turns out, yes, uh, if the if the president says uh, the newspapers are lying about some terrible shit that he was doing, it's probably that he was doing it. Jefferson, though, realizes that if all the stuff is in the newspapers, he obviously can't bring Sally Hemings to the White House because nope. that would seem to give a lot of credibility to those rumors. Mm -hmm. Makes her stay back at Monte Monticello, but he moves into this newly completed White House, just finished being built by the time the third president rolls around. Still, despite the fact that he's living in this brand new White House that's just completed, and she is in Virginia Monticello, it's not that far geographically. Yeah. And so he fathers three of his children with Sally Hemings while he is president. He is like commuting back and forth. That's one a year, basically. It's a well, four-year term. He's president for two terms. Oh, okay. He is a two-term okay. president. Got it. But still has three children with Sally Hemings during this these terms in office. He does do other notable things. He spearheads the Louisiana Purchase in 1802. Heard of it. Doubles the size of the United States. The Lewis and Clark expedition to like go see what's out there. We'll get to them. We'll get to land. them. Yeah. We'll get around there. Uh, 1807, in his second term, Jefferson almost crashes the entire U.S. economy. It turns out um, there was a fight going on between England and France. Mm -hmm. uh, it was the Napoleonic Wars. Napoleon being a dick. Go listen to the episode. Episode one. Uh, yeah. Both countries, though, England and France, are both desperate for the financial support of America. Mm -hmm. And they both are trying to block the other side's trade with the US by capturing ships that are going to the opponent's country. Britain even at one point goes so far, they take over an American military ship to try to like search it and, and basically take them hostage. Mm -hmm. And people are like, nope, can't do that. Thomas Jefferson, huge Francophile. So he was like wanting to support France. But other people were like, uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe we should go to war with Britain or maybe we should go to war with France or maybe like he, he, he wanted to really just like screw over the British, but he couldn't gather enough support because people were just so tired having just fought this American Revolutionary War and sure. the economy was still kind of in shambles. So rather than declare, declare war on both sides, he basically says, look, we are just going to stop trade. And people are like, wait, you're stopping trade with both of them? And no, he's like, we're stopping trade with everybody. There is no more trade out of the United States for now. Just shut it all down. Mm. And that so it was an embargo on all American trade overseas. The Embargo Act of 1807. As you can imagine, if your country is small and new and you have a lot of farmland and yeah. you're exporting a lot of stuff and that is where your money comes from, if you say, hey, we're going to shut down all trade with everybody everywhere, yeah. that's bad for the economy. I mean, that's used as punishment in other countries now. We just call it sanctions. Like, Yeah, exactly. It, it, it was self-imposed sanctions on the entirety of the United States. Yeah. And as you can imagine, it was totally successful in tanking the economy like you might expect. It's exactly how we use it right now. It didn't stop people like from trying because once you're like, oh, all these farmers and everybody, like you can't sell anything. They're like, oh, we're just going to smuggle it out. And so it just, there was a huge smuggling trade. Basically, yeah, everybody was willing to go and just take personal boats and try to sneak stuff. And it was a trickle of what it used to be. But um, it was like, now you had all these like smugglers and pirates along the coast. And it was just a nightmare. Uh, it was a terrible idea. It didn't work at all. As he's about to leave office, they're like, we're just going to replace you and repeal this. And he's like, okay, fine. So right before he leaves, they repeal it anyway. Got it. Uh, but basically, Basically, the American economy was exporting about like $100 million of stuff, and it, and it goes down to like $20 million of imports. So if you can just imagine like- An 80% reduction. 80% reduction in you like economic what? activity. If you're selling mattresses this weekend, that's a good plan. <laughs> 80% off this weekend only. <laughs> right. Yes. But you can't have 80% off your mattresses all year round. You can only do it every no. now and then. Yeah, if you, if you were just like, we're going to shut down 80% of sales of mattresses, that's also a bad idea. I wouldn't recommend that. Nope, can't do um, it. 
But yeah, basically all historians consider this idea of Jefferson's to been just like totally ineffective, totally harmful. There's a historian, Appleby, who describes it strategy as his, quote, least effective policy. And uh, Joseph Ellis calls it, quote, an unadulterated calamity. You, you also don't want adulterated calamities. You don't, you don't really want any kind of calamities, mm-hmm. but unadulterated, worst, worst of all. Worst, of, worst kind of the two options. Almost tanking the American economy is pretty bad, but it is not the worst thing he did while he was president. Wow. You're telling me this an hour into the episode? There's worse? So, again, maybe not as bad as raping Sally Hemings an additional number of times to father three children. But in 1789, way back when, he had said that he was a huge fan of dogs. He had said that he thought sheepdogs were the original dog breed of all dogs, and they were the best and smartest, most careful, intelligent dogs in the world. Having had two sheepdogs growing up, I'll tell you what, they're, they're nice. They're nice. They smell bad. They smell very bad. They do. They do. But he, despite saying that these were the best dogs in the world, while he's in the presidency, mm-hmm. he hears a report back from Monticello that there are some dogs that are killing his sheep. And he hears this and he's very, very upset. And he blames it on all of the dogs that the enslaved people on his uh, Monticello owned. I don't, I don't want to so, go where this story is going. Uh, when he learned about this, he said, quote, to secure enough wool, the Negro's dogs must all be killed. No. Do not spare no. a single one. And he, he said, let this be carried into execution immediately. And he massacred dozens of dogs on his own labor camp just because he was afraid that they might be the culprits. This man who said he loved these sheepdogs that said they were the best dogs in the world had them killed. Had them killed. Killed all of them. Stop. We know. We got it. I'm just saying. We don't like it. He's a dick. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, listen, we... There are lots of people who are cruel to humans and we're like, okay, product of his time. Here's what I'll tell you. People do not like it when you're cruel to companion animals. There are a lot of mental gymnastics that, that as we've seen in his history, that caused him to begin to justify his violence towards human beings, right? Mm-hmm. He tried to other them to try to like tell himself that they were less than human, that they were not real people. Mm-hmm. But yeah, companion animals are simple and loving and... There is seemingly no reason why anybody could hate them. And yet, in that innocence, to just murder the dogs feels like yet another bridge. Once we've already gone several bridges too far. Yeah, final bridge. Not the biggest, worst bridge, but a very final, terrible bridge. Yeah. Um, After the presidency, he goes on to found the University of Virginia um, he wanted a place where people could study free of church influences because so many of the universities had religious bents. But as you can imagine, for white men only. Yes. And exclusionary in ways that perpetuated all of the things that he originally started his life decrying. July 1825, he had a combination of rheumatism and intestinal diseases. And 1826, combined a bed. July 3rd, got a big fever and ultimately died on July 4th. The same day as John Adams, his former... No, really? His former presidential rival at the age of 83. Wow. I did not realize that two of the first three presidents died on July 4th. It's true. It is. Uh, they were very far separated by like hundreds of miles too. So it's not that one heard about the other or anything either. It was just happened to be Oh, the two of them died at the same time? I thought you meant like same day. I thought you meant like one died on July fourth, like whatever year, and then Jefferson died on July fourth that year. No, on the same no, separated day. Separated by hundreds of miles, they died on the same day, July fourth, eighteen twenty six. Wow. So at the time he died, mm-hmm. Jefferson was a uh, hundred thousand dollars in debt, which is like a million dollars today. Not good. No. Um he he formerly freed only two enslaved people while he was alive. So it was Sally Hemings' older brother, Robert, who had to buy his own freedom. And uh, her brother, James, who had to 
train a replacement brother to be the chef for Jefferson, uh, like which was really shitty. Um, so Sophie's choice, a horrible yeah. scenario. Yeah, training your brother to take your place so you can be free. Jefferson's will did legally free all the remaining surviving children of Sally Hemings. A boy named Beverly, who is potentially William Beverly, a, a boy named Madison, James Madison, and a boy named Eston, who is potentially Thomas Eston. Um, they were all freed, but only as they came of age. So they had to be legally adults too, which was another shitty part of it. He's like, I want to free my children, but not. I don't want to see them free. I'm not interested not in like, like really seeing them Literally be free. Only after I'm dead. So of all of the hundreds of enslaved people he legally owned, he only freed these five in his will. All of them were men from the Hemings family because the one daughter had already been essentially sure. let go. Um, he did petition the legislature to allow them to stay in the state. Um, but of all of this, he never freed Sally Hemings. So there's no documentation to show that she herself, even after he died, was wow. to be free. His oldest daughter eventually informally freed her by, quote, what they would do is they said they'd give her her time, which meant that she was not legally free. She didn't have any of those rights, but they would just like let her do what she wanted okay. as long as like she was still legally theirs. So she was withheld from being auctioned off. The only silver lining for Sally Hemings in this story is that this informal freedom allowed her to go and live in Virginia with her two youngest sons okay. um, for the next nine years until she died. And she did, she was listed on the 1833 census as a free person of color. And she did eventually live to see one of her grandchildren born in a house that her child owned. So oh, like wow. she got to like be witness to a free descendant of hers, have a have a house, have a home, have a free child of their own. Wow. Unfortunately, all of the remaining enslaved people in the family were ultimately sold by Jefferson's daughter to pay back these debts. And in the process, they sold them off in ways that broke up generations of families that had been staying together on Monticello. They separated children from parents and just like destroyed this multi-generational um, society that had, that had like been growing up in this region. It's just destruction everywhere. There's no, it's all destruction. Thomas Jefferson wrote that all men are created equal. And yet he had enslaved more than 600 people in the course of his life, made some attempts to against slavery in the legislature early in his life and and publicly like spoke ill of it and said it was a stain, but also directly profited from this institution for his entire life and wrote privately that he knew black people to be inferior to white people fundamentally. Not like he was not racist on top of this. Like he was racist. benefiting and believed it deeply. Yeah. Racist please. Uh as the historian uh Gerald uh Gewalt wrote for the Library of Congress, Jefferson deplored inequality among men, yet he owned slaves. He supported servitude and relegated women to a secondary role. He sought to preserve Native American culture, but then also, quote, planned to civilize them through his own expansionist policies eventually. Yeah. Again, something we didn't touch on heavily. He hailed freedom of the press as a bulwark of the Republican government until his own foibles in politics became the focus, and he expounded the, pub the virtues of public education and founded a public university, but assumed access would be strictly limited. So if not for all of the violence and all of the grossness of the pedophilia, essentially, mm -hmm. on top of all that, just the sheer hypocrisy at every stage in his life. All the hits. Establishing and speaking to these, these high-minded ideals while undermining them almost at every opportunity. I, I would have to say Thomas Jefferson is not my hero. Not my hero either. There are ideals that he wrote down. I think we can agree we still aspire to. Mm -hmm. And that equality is one of the things that we are hoping to make truer over time. Mm -hmm. The civil rights movement was about making that actually true for black and, and the descendants of formerly enslaved people in America. But uh, Thomas Jefferson... Could write the words, could talk the talk, did not walk the walk. No, not at all. It's kind of like when, well, not at all like, but I'm going to make this this leap anyway. Kind of like when we watch, for example, Cutthroat Kitchen and they're like, okay, you need to make a ratatouille. And I'm like, I know what a ratatouille is. 
couldn't make it. I could tell you what's in it. I'll be like, oh, look at they they have cut their eggplant way too thick. Meanwhile, like I'm not slicing any eggplants, you know? Yeah, yeah, it's true, right? He he was well read and educated enough, given his immense privilege, to like understand all of the right ideas and words and just did not have the character to actually put them into practice at almost any stage in his life. Not to put too fine a point on this, but in addition to that being his legacy as an individual, one of the reasons this podcast exists is because of the ways that those individual behaviors are institutionalized in our political system, in our social system, even if like technically the law is written differently or there are these ideals, like the institutionalization of that behavior, implicit or explicit, is like fundamental to the way that still today in 2022, people think about and talk about race and sex and gender and all of those sort of things. So like it's that still very much exists. We just there's something beyond it just being Jefferson. To the extent that like we even continue to talk to talk about him and, and the people he was writing with and working with in the revolution as the founding fathers, right? Mm-hmm. It 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 implies that there is this way in which like the the systems that they built and in some way are like are the foundation that like begins to permeate. And so like even the story, right? I think one of the reasons that the Sally Hemings story is important is because um, for whatever high-minded ideals you talk about, one of the things that it inevitably does is like it places her at this position where like she would never have been allowed to be first the first um, you know, non-white first lady yeah. of of the country. But like she is there as this person whose descendants like are the heirs of this like president's history, right? They are family members of this man who was there at the center of these things. And like, Mm -hmm. it, it makes them, I think it gives justice to the, the parts of the story that they're in whilst also like just drawing into like even sharper relief, like how this same man who was their biological father was just like actively undermining their the causes for their freedom and like building in these ways like it, it, it highlights that dichotomy that like it's not just like an internal contribution oh we say we believe all people are equal and we have slavery no it's like this man had biological children that were the product of raping their enslaved mother and was sending you know guns to haiti and like was writing these things into law and was avoiding talking about slavery in these documents. Like all of those things are deeply core to his personal story and their personal stories mm-hmm. in a way that like ripples throughout those systems and structures. It it is not that like it was just ideas. This was like human lives and human ways that like get codified um, for you know hundreds of years, generations after that. Well, thanks for this episode. It, I know it was heavy and folks getting not, to yeah, the not end the fun, of it. Not the funniest. Not the funniest. We we have many funny episodes. Yeah, it's this hard to was... be funny about this one. This one just feels important. This one feels yeah. like we all sort of know the fringes of the ways that Jefferson was bad, but to have it sort of laid out succinctly, clearly, simply, it feels like an important one to have in the the Rolodex of the Meet Your Heroes portfolio. But happy, happy President's Day weekend. Yeah, get your washer and dryer. Get your mattresses. Yeah. And if people are looking for uh, any of our many other funny, lighter episodes, where can they find them? They can find us on social media at Your Heroes Pod or on our website at meetyourheroespodcast.com. Yep. And please like, share, rate, review, spread the word, tell your friends. And until next week. Don't be a hero. Don't be a hero. Bye.